Thank you. That was wonderful. I wanted to tell you how glad I am to be with you today. Uh, you know, when you go to a new place to speak or to preach, sometimes you have feelings of apprehension and uh, fear and nervousness, and certainly there's a little bit of that this morning. But I also felt like I was going to be coming uh, among friends today uh, because uh, through our association in the downtown community ministry, we work very closely together and As many of you probably know, we decided to try this pulpit exchange uh, in lieu of a Thanksgiving service that we used to have. And uh, part of the reason for doing that is so we can affirm our common ties uh, as servants of Christ here in downtown Richmond and to recall some of the things that bind us together. Um, I often feel like uh, our churches here in downtown have Uh, much more in common in some ways than even churches within our own particular denominations. Uh, We share a common mission field. We uh, serve and minister to many of the same people in the course of a week. We have a common sense of calling to be in ministry and mission uh, here in downtown Richmond. And there are certainly historic ties, uh, not only of ministry and mission, but of fellowship and affection among our churches And so we want to affirm all those things together uh, today. I want to say a word of appreciation to your pastor, Alex, who is a good friend and colleague, and Catherine um, for her hospitality today as I've come to be among you. I'd like to read for our gospel reading today, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Listen now for the word of God. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been Trustworthy in a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter 
Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in many ways, we are a generation of thrill seekers. We are always looking for a moment of exhilaration, whether that is tying a thin cord around ourselves and hanging from a crane or a tall building and dangling below, bungee jumping, or uh, going whitewater rafting down a river or watching race cars go around an oval at 200 plus miles an hour. We're always looking for some kind of thrill. Some of us seek that thrill in less licit ways. Uh, The sting of a needle on a syringe, hoping to help us cope with whatever it is we're facing or snorting something Uh, that we hope will help break the monotony of the endless cycle of work and sleep and life. I suspect that most of us would hesitate to use the word thrill in association with Christianity. Most of us turn to faith because we hope it will be a source of calm and peace and serenity for us. So I doubt that we would associate the word thrill with our faith. Someone wrote a while back, do not ride in automobiles. They cause 20% of all fatal accidents. Do not stay at home. 17% of all accidents occur in the home. Do not walk on the street or sidewalk. 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Do not travel by air, rail, or water. 16% of all accidents happen on these. However, only 0.001% of all deaths reported occur in worship services. Hence, the safest place to be is in your church. (laughs) And yet, after we consider this parable that Jesus told, we might have a different assessment about whether or not being in church is always the safest place to be. So Jesus told the story, you know, well, a master had three servants and he was going on a trip. He called each of them in. He gave one of them five talents. It was a lot of money. A talent was about 20 years worth of wages for a laborer. He gave one of them five talents. He gave another one two talents. He gave the third servant one talent. And then he just left. Don't know where he went. I don't know if he went on a cruise in the Bahamas or a ski trip to the Alps. Who knows where he went? Maybe he was just laying on a beach in Hawaii. He just left. He left all of this money in the care of these three servants. Well, the time came and he returned. 
from his journey, and he called his servants in to give an accounting of what they had done with what he had entrusted to their care. And the first servant came and he said, you gave me five talents. I took it and I have doubled your money. I made five more. And the second one said the same thing. I took the two talents that you gave me and I've made two more talents for you. But the third servant had a different report to give. He said to the master, I knew you were a harsh man. I knew you could be cruel and mean. You're a tough dude. So I took the talent you gave me and I buried it in the ground. And here it is. Now, I return it to you. Now you would think that this master would be satisfied with that. His servant had not cheated him, had not stolen from him. He was returning exactly what he'd been given. And yet the master is furious. He's angry. And he said, you knew I was a harsh man. Why didn't you at least take what I'd given you and invest it with the bankers so that when I returned, I could at least get the interest off of that? And then he turned to his staff and he said, take this one talent and give it to the five talent man and take this servant and have him thrown into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's going on there? What was going on with this third servant and and this one talent that he'd been given? Maybe he thought since he had been given much less than the other two servants, that the master just did not expect much from him. And so he would not expect much of himself. Do you think we ever are guilty of that? Sometimes we underestimate the importance of our influence or the gifts that God has given to us. Now, we like to be humble people. We're, we're taught that from early on. Pride is that unforgivable sin, certainly. Overestimating our importance, having an elevated sense of who we are causes all kinds of problems with God and with other people. But it may be the case that underestimating our importance is just as dangerous. There's a story in the Old Testament you probably remember Saul is king, and he and the Israelites are fighting against the Amalekites. And as the battle comes to a close, Saul is commanded by God to kill King Agog and then to kill all of the animals that belong to the Amalekites. Well, I'm not going to try to make an argument to justify holy warfare. This is kind of a terrible passage in many ways. But this is a turning point in Saul's life. Because he disobeys God. He lets the king live. And then he allows the people to take the livestock of the Amalekites for themselves rather than doing what God had told them to do. And after this experience, God says to Saul, Though you are little in your own eyes, aren't you the head of the tribes of Israel? Though you are 
little or small in your own eyes, aren't you the head of the, the tribes of Israel? And it's from that point on that Saul's life begins to tragically unravel in this constant competition between him and his young protege, David, begins to escalate. Do you think we ever underestimate our importance in the scheme of things? God has given you some gift and the community is less if that gift is not used or exercised. I know sometimes we are afraid to use our gifts, afraid that they might not be received or accepted, afraid that we might fail in trying to offer our gifts, so we play it safe. And I can't help but wonder if something like that might have happened to this third servant. Maybe somewhere along the line, he had experienced some great disappointment, and he had come to the conclusion that he needed to play it safe. He was afraid. And so he took his talent and he buried it in the ground. Just as you and I sometimes take the gifts God gives us and bury them out of sight and out of mind. But every so often, some of us, uh, some of us, others would look at and wonder what kind of gift we might have to share or offer. Discover that God can use even the weakest and most vulnerable among us. Tony Campolo tells a story about a woman he knew well whose name was Nancy. She was confined to a wheelchair because of a handicap. And he had learned that in her life, she had developed this unusual ministry. She had put an ad in the paper and she told people in the ad that she was home alone and that if anyone ever needed someone simply to talk to, someone they could share their pain with, to give her a call. And he learned that in the course of a week, Nancy would get about 30 phone calls. She had become a source of strength and help and healing to people who had read that ad and called her. After he got to know her better, he wanted to know more about her situation. Why was she bound to this wheelchair? And she said to him, I had come to a point in my life where I didn't think it was worth living anymore. I was miserable in my job. I felt I didn't have any friends or anyone who cared about me, so I jumped out of the window of my apartment building and landed on the sidewalk below. And I wound up paralyzed from the waist down. And she said, when I was in the hospital, Jesus came to me and he told me, he said, you have had a healthy body and a crippled soul. But from now on, you're going to have a crippled body, but a healthy soul. And she said, I decided I was going to do whatever I could to make a difference in people's lives. Now, not everyone who endures some great adversity or tragedy winds up being a risk-taking conqueror like 
Nancy, many of us are bound by our perception of the world and think that perhaps no matter how hard we try, it just won't work. Alan Lloyd Guinness wrote a book called The Power of Optimism. I don't believe the power of positive thinking changes everything like some people do. I I do think on balance it's better to think positively rather than negatively. But in this particular book, he was talking about people who came to his psychiatric clinic, many of whom were dealing with depression or other maladies that were keeping them from fulfilling the goals and objectives that they had set for their lives. And so he thought that the most helpful thing that he could do would be to try to help these people find the proper motivation. And so he would try to build them up and he would uh, give them pep talks and he would try to find ways to motivate them to, you know, rise up out of their discouragement and their depression and achieve the goals that they had for their lives. He said, none of this worked. When I would give these pep talks, he said, their eyes would just glaze over. And he said, I don't know why it took me so long, but I finally realized that the people I was dealing with were not lazy. They did not lack motivation. They had simply had a number of experiences in their lives where they had come to the conclusion that no matter how hard they tried, The world was always going to push back against them in a negative way. He came across some research by a rather well-known psychologist named Martin Seligman, and he gave a name to this condition. He called it learned helplessness. So then his job was to help people reassess the reality as they saw it. I can't help but wonder if this third servant had just had a string of disappointments. He had made the effort. He had taken some risks and they just hadn't panned out and he was afraid. He was afraid of failing again. He was afraid of the Master and his negative evaluation of his effort. And so he just played it safe. Maybe some of us have have been there You know, we thought we were going to be the vice president of the corporation by the time we were 40, and it just didn't work out that way. We got disappointed. We thought we were going to have a storybook marriage and a wonderful family, but somewhere along the line, we got divorced. And that dream has just never materialized. We always saw ourselves being a person filled with compassion and generosity and love. But we recognize strains of bitterness and resentment and anger within ourselves that we'd like to get rid of. Maybe some of us have been there. But you know where I think this third servant made the greatest miscalculation in his thinking? I think he underestimated the Master. Now, what kind of person in charge of a rather large operation simply hands out a lot of money to his employees and leaves town with not any instructions at all? And that's what he did. 
He had forgotten that his master himself was a great risk taker. And he was trying to engender that within his own servants. And sometimes we forget that about God, don't we? We forget that the God we serve is not a God who ever plays it safe. Our God is always taking risks. If our God wanted to play it safe, wouldn't He have created men and women with computer chips in their brains who would act like robots and automatically fulfill every command that God gave? Instead, God created us with freedom to make choices and to make all kinds of mistakes. And then after we've made those mistakes, God decided that He would try to reach out to us, so He sent one prophet after another that was beaten or killed or persecuted because of the message that was proclaimed, and He kept sending them. And if that wasn't enough, God finally sent the very best thing that He had. He sent His only Son to us, His most precious and prized possession, and He was beaten and persecuted and mocked and killed. The God we serve is a God who's always taking risks. He never plays it safe. And so what would this God want from you and from me? What would this God want from us here in downtown Richmond in 2014? What is this God calling us to do and be? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You that You love us enough to continue risking everything to give us and this world Your love. Help us to learn to take risks, to love, to care, to serve, to make a difference. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.